You are listening to Impact Izzo, the student voice of Michigan State University basketball, bringing you news, updates, and more. I'm proud of myself to be relevant. Yeah, it's snowing outside. Hello, Impact Izzo listeners. Now everyone knows I like to start out my Facebook lives with the hello Facebook live. Davey always gave me some uh, some fun reaction for that, but we are here for Season 6, Episode 7 of the Impact Is On Podcast, your home of all things Michigan State men's basketball. And, well, uh, I'm honored to be joined for what I will say is my second-to-last podcast here on the Impact Is On Podcast by Amanda Poole and Julian Mitchell. Hello. 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 Welcome into the show. Uh, first time? Yeah. First time, long time. First time, long time? Okay, yeah, yeah. No, this is our seventh time. This is your seventh time? Yeah. Man, how did you count that? So, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is true. So, anyways, <laughs> let's get moving on. Uh, we have a lot to get to today, and all of you who asked Twitter questions, thank you so much because we are loaded. I mean, we had four people submit questions, but we might have about 47 different questions to get to we will get there. But, of course, we have to begin with the latest on Michigan State. Uh, back-to-back wins uh, in Big Ten play. Big Ten tease season, as I like to say. A little tease of Big Ten action. Uh, and we can get into if we like that or not, too. But we'll get into those two wins, look ahead to Florida, and then it's finals week, so Michigan State doesn't play for a while. So we're really only previewing Florida here. So that's kind of kind of nice. So... Michigan State coming off that loss to Louisville that they lost in overtime, 82-78. We talked about that a lot on episode six, of course. Um, really broke that down, and you know, as Spartan Nation kind of was in a tailspin and a whirlwind of, oh my gosh, what went on? What happened? This team is, you know, insert insert your favorite adjective or four letter word there. I, I like to think that we did a good job of calming down the uh, fan base and preparing them for two very nice wins. Now, you can say what you will about Rutgers, but to go to Piscataway there and get a 11-point uh, victory, 78-67 to 67 over Rutgers, if you ask me, that's that's an impressive victory, especially with the way that Rutgers played early on in that one. Yeah, and I think the thing that people get so worked up about is they look at both Louisville and Rutgers and see them as not good teams, and that just isn't true. Now, I'm not going to go as far out to say they're great teams and tournament teams, but they are competitive teams that when they play the right way and are able to slow down a good team like Michigan State, they can pull out a win. It's not impossible to think that. I mean, you look at Rutgers, they have great pieces, and a Geo Baker, that's a guy who he can play anywhere. He's Mm -hmm. a fantastic player, has some great moves. And these are just teams that are going to be very competitive. Well, and these types of teams really challenge, you know, Michigan State and the fact that they can't go in there just saying, you know, we're going to win this. It's got to be, you got to be on your toes the whole time. You don't know what's going to happen. You're going to have to play 100% no matter who you're facing. So these teams are good to set them up for all the tough competition in this Big Ten conference. Going through the ledger at the Rutgers game, I want to get into Iowa more so. So we're just going to go through this. Cassius Winston, 22 points on 8 of 16 shooting. Nick Ward, another nice day for him, 20 points. Uh, 6 of 11 at the free throw line. Seems like that's about his free throw stat line all the time <laughs> now. It's about that 60% range. I want to I wanna get into that with him, too. I mean, I think that free throws for him, very important to get that higher up. Uh, but also Josh Langford, 14 points, again in the double-digit scoring column for him. Not lighting the world on fire or anything, but... Uh, Xavier Tillman put in 30 good minutes, 11 points, 8 rebounds. Michigan State as a whole, only 5 of 16 from 3, but shot 19 of 25 at the free throw line. That's 76%. There we go. Quick math. Ooh, quick math. Um, yes. There we go. <laughs> okay. Um, whatever. So, I mean, Michigan State went into that game, and they led only by 2 at the half. And, I mean, again, with Rutgers... First off, I'll say it. I think Steve Peichel's a great coach. Yes, Rutgers may finish 3-15 and or 3-17 and again in the Big Ten and finish last, but that's not... I mean, they, they put up a fight against everybody. They just battled with Wisconsin, who's the number 12 team in the nation, Michigan State at number 10. 
I think that going on the road to Rutgers, especially after going on the road to Louisville and losing like that, I think it said a lot about Michigan State to bounce back and go into a place like like the the rack, as they call it. And Michigan State proved, hey, don't sleep on us. We can we can rebound and go on the road and win. Yeah, I definitely think that you know after the big loss going to Rutgers, it was just it was just kind of like a test. It was like, all right, let's see what they can do. Let's see if if they're affected emotionally and mentally by this, or if they're you know gonna just pick their feet up, pick their heads up, and move on. And that's what this Tom Izzo team did, and that's what we saw, and that's what we're continuing to seeing in the Iowa game as well. Yeah, and what was big for me was just the maturity level. You mm-hmm. come off a loss to Louisville, and then you got to go out on the road, your first Big Ten matchup of the season. And in a kind of a game where it was a lot of mental errors and just players not stepping up into the roles that they have been asked to step into, particularly Cassius Winston in that Louisville game fouling out, but comes to Rutgers, puts up 22 points, zero turnovers in this game to go along with six assists. That's just a guy who has, he rose up to play a more mature, slowed the game down, played at the correct pace, found his spots, just played an overall better game without the silly mistakes. Michigan State holds Geo Baker to 10 points on 4 of 13 uh, shooting. Peter Kiss at 4 of 12 for 11 points. So they they went after two of those guys that were really good players. This is a Rutgers team that is improved. They were just coming off that upset win against Miami. And then uh, Omori, I, I, I thought that, I mean, he got some of his. I mean, 7 of 18 for 16 points, 11 rebounds, but... Uh, Again, Michigan State going against some talented guys, and that's what Rutgers is right now, is they have some talent. You know, they had Corey Sanders the last couple of years. They've had that talent. They just don't have the depth to really compete for that middle pack of the Big Ten quite yet. But, uh, I mean, just closing out on that Rutgers win, I mean, the, the mentality for Michigan State and without Matt McQuaid again, you know, didn't travel because they don't want to risk it. Uh, with with that bruise uh, that happened in the end of the Texas game. Uh, We're going to get Tom Izzo's comments on Matt McQuaid's health in a little bit, but uh, I I thought that said a lot about Michigan State's resolve and and being able to fill his role again and uh, and be able to survive. Well, that just says a lot about Michigan State's bench and the depth of this team and being able to not fill shoes, I guess, but just have those players that it's not like one person's gone, you know, all hell breaks loose. It's just, you know, you move on. You find people that can play really good defense. You find – and that's those players' chance to step up and prove to coach that, hey, like, you want me to be a good defensive player? Let me go in there and do that for yeah. you. So Look at me. Look at me. Look what I can do, right? <laughs> and this is, that's a great point. That's about the freshmen. Yeah. I mean, Aaron Henry is a guy that's taken on a much larger role because of Matt McQuaid's injury. Kyle Arnes, the more experienced guy that's literally starting because of that injury. They've done a nice job filling in and, again, not completely taking the team over. That's that's not what they have to do, but kind of splitting up what Matt McQuaid does, splitting up some of his minutes. Yeah, and but particularly a guy that stood out to me was Aaron Henry. In that second half against Rutgers, he got tasked to sort of go out there and attempt to slow down Geo Baker, and he did a fine job of it. His perimeter defense has truly risen up in these past couple of games and it happened again against Iowa he got Jordan Bohannon for a couple of possessions and he was a good perimeter defender and he talked a little bit about that you know after the game against Iowa and just how he's taken a different kind of mindset on that end of the floor and how he has to pick up without McQuaid. Michigan State defeats Rutgers and then comes home to have a, a game that I thought first off at the beginning was oh boy we're in for a big time Big Ten clash, uh, a, a February type game in early December, um, and a game against Iowa that we didn't think Iowa was going to be this good going into the season. We didn't see them being ranked in the top twenty-five, and they remained ranked after losing a tight one against Wisconsin. That was right after the Michigan State Rutgers game. But then Michigan State took over. Spartans win 90-68 to at home against Iowa, number 18 at the time, Iowa. And after, after trailing a little bit early on, and I think it was after the second or third media timeout, it's just a back-and-forth game. Julian and I were on the call on 88.9 FM, and, I mean, 
Julian was on the call and he was throwing a break and I just I'm not gonna lie I I listened <laughs> back to it and I was like Ryan what are you doing I was like talking over you because I was just like man this is fun I was like boy this is a fun game right two teams going back and forth and then Michigan State put the foot on the gas pedal a little bit before halftime got a 10 point halftime lead and then just squashed Iowa at the beginning of the second half one for 20 to start the second half were the Hawkeyes from the field Michigan State just left them in the dust led by I think 33 at one point against the number 18 team in the country. I mean, what a win for Michigan State, Julian. It really was. And like like you said, it was a good Iowa team. This Iowa team has so many pieces. Particularly, I really love Tyler Cook. Mm-hmm. That's a guy who he can play with anybody. That... And he still played well, 15-8, and eight, 37 minutes. He did. And th- I mean, he, they slowed him a little bit in the first half, but that second half he came out ready to roar. And, I mean, that guy's so athletic. He's such a great game. So does Jordan Bohan. He came out great in the first half. Then that second half turned around. I think that was one of the big catalysts of kind of that slow run was he just couldn't get anything going he was one of six overall in the second half and he had opened up the scoring at least for Iowa in that first half so slowing him down was a big key yeah this whole game it was just Michigan State was doing what they needed to do to succeed every player was doing their part and I mean Nick Ward really stepped up I mean, everybody did what they were supposed to do, and that's when Iowa couldn't keep up anymore. And how about Nick Ward? How about Nick Ward? Uh, You know, when you go out and play the sport of basketball, uh, our listeners might know this. Making shots is better than missing shots. Mm, Really? I think Nick Ward knows this. Mm -hmm. Because he went 10 for 10 from the field, everybody. 100%. 100%. That's uh, See, we... We talk about how, hey, sometimes we struggle with math here on the Impact is on podcast. <laughs> 10 for 10, pretty sure that's 100%. Yeah, I'm like 92% sure that's 100%. 92% sure that's 100% yeah, I'm like sure. 2 over 6% sure that it's 100%. All right, too many All right let's cut yep. you off. All right, enough of that. <laughs> enough yeah, of that. Done. 26 points, a career high for Nick Ward. Again, 6 of 11 from the free throw line. Did you guys? <laughs> I said he Come goes 6 on. for 11 every game. He just does. Um, nine, po- 9 rebounds, excuse me, for him. Two blocks. And that's in 23 minutes, by the way. Nick Ward still is not playing that like 30-minute game quite yet. His minutes are up from last year. And if you take out that that game that he had the injury, I believe that was Louisiana Monroe, yeah. where he only played five minutes. Mm-hmm. If you take that out, he's much more in that 24-25 range after averaging 19 last year. So a big improvement for him and, and smart of him to stay on the court. But back to Nick Ward, 23 minutes scoring 26 points. There was a stretch in the first half, Julian, where, again, as we were on the call, I could tell. And it was right around, do you remember the goaltend? It was an obvious goaltend that that obvious. Nick Ward. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was it's it's coming down. Nick Ward swats it, and he's like, "What?" And and it's like, "Duh!" That was I could see that from the top row of the first bowl. Like that that was so obvious, but I could still tell at that point he had lit a fire under him, and he was gonna make everything. He was gonna defend his butt off, and he did. I thought that was the best stretch of basketball I've seen Nick Ward play in a long time in the first half. Yeah, and, you know, I asked him about it after the game, and, you know, he didn't, of course, say that the matchup kind of brought him a little bit of energy, but like you said, there was there was something different mm-hmm. out there on the floor, and you could tell that this was kind of, at least looking at it to me, and obviously it's speculation, but you look at Nick Ward and Tyler Cook, both guys who last year took a trip to t- test the NBA draft waters and got that chance to work out with NBA teams. These are two guys who kind of know that these are the seasons they have to improve, and to go out and have a matchup against a guy like that you got to kind of relish in that and want to play better than him because that's that's kind of proven that you can hang with a guy who is supposed to be just as talented as you and that you can play better than him. And I think he took that upon himself to have such a great game. Also, going off of you talking to him after the game, I also talked to him after the game. Oh, look at that. <laughs> we need to siren and... you guys. Oh. <laughs> but, no, really. And I was talking to him about, you know, 26 points. That's amazing. How are you, you know, staying composed? Because, I mean, that's a lot of that's a lot of energy, a lot of emotion. Um, and 
he was like, I was fine. Like, I didn't think about it. I yeah. didn't think about the numbers. And that just all goes back to what Izzo was saying with maturity. And he's a, he's just a different player now. He's he's composed. He knows, you know, what his role is and how to do his job and do it effectively. And, I mean, even afterwards, Izzo said, you know, he can't – he doesn't want to beat around the bush too much. He's going to be giving Nick Ward a lot of credit because he deserves it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he doesn't – like, he wants to keep him, like, level-headed or whatever so he doesn't get too big-headed. But oh, yeah. definitely deserves a lot of credit for that game. And then keeping with the bigs, because I thought Michigan State's bigs just flat out dominated Iowa. And that's what you want to see against a team that 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 team has some size. Like you said, I mean, Luca Garza, that's a guy that, I mean, he's talented as as all heck. And and he's one of the reasons that they were coming in, one of the best uh, teams in the Big Ten. I mean, they limited him. I think he went one for ten. Yeah, he struggled all game long. All game long. And, And he was having trouble on the defensive end as well. Because Nick Ward, obviously 10 for 10, but also, how about Kenny Goins? Got to have the Kenny Goins section, and we're going to get into it, too, with the Twitter questions, because everybody wants to know about Kenny Goins. This is just like after the Kansas game. Kenny Goins, Kenny Goins, Kenny Goins. 19 points, career high. 14 rebounds. Ties a career high of 7 assists. Yes, the player that has gotten the closest to a triple-double this year on Michigan State University <laughs> basketball is Kenny Goins. Who else did you expect? No, I mean, I mean <laughs> of course, you know, just the way we drew it up, right? Yeah, it went, my lineup of people who are going to be close to a triple-double was Kenny Goins, mm-hmm. Jack Hoiberg, mm-hmm. Thomas Kithy. <laughs> Thomas Kithy, and uh, wow, right? I mean, yeah. th- that was the thing, and, and look, he wasn't running the point or anything, but what he did so well is, I mean, he starts, once he becomes kind of an offensive threat, you know, he does start to draw a little bit, and he's got a good basketball IQ to where he can kick it out for a three or something like that. So those assists, um, and and I I think that's a big part of Michigan State's offense, too, is someone at that four position who, I mean, they can shoot that mid-range, but also, I mean, if it's not there, nowhere to go with the ball. Well, and that's all experience, too. Absolutely. Like, when I was talking to him, he's like, I'm a veteran player. I'm like, that's how I play now. I just play with experience, and you can see it. If there's anybody that knows Tom Izzo's system, it's Kenny Goins. Mm-hmm. He's a fifth-year senior. And, and, I mean, he had the game of his life that day, threatened a triple-double. He really did. And it's just part of being smarter, playing with a high basketball IQ, and recognizing that when you're going up against his own defense, like Iowa was trying to throw at Michigan State, you get it to your four inside the free-throw line, and Nick Ward finds seams, easy bounce pass down low inside for him for an easy bucket. That's kind of the assist he was getting, just being mm-hmm. the focal point of the offense at the free throw line against the zone, and they found holes. That zone defense uh, I want to get into as well, and I asked Tom Izzo about this uh, just today after practice because you think back to that UCLA game, the way that they pulled away from UCLA is UCLA was having trouble down low uh, against Michigan State's beefier bigs. I mean, they were long and lean, but they had no weight to them, right? Moses Brown got nothing on him. UCLA tried to throw his own defense at Michigan State to slow down their their run and try to make them turn the ball over, which Michigan State has had problems with. Iowa did the same. In both of those games, Michigan State, uh, yes, the first couple of possessions of zone defense and a press, which Iowa threw at them too. Yeah, they struggled a little bit, you know, a turnover here maybe. Um, sloppy pass here. It didn't take long for Michigan State to just find every possible way to get over that zone defense. And so I asked Michigan State's head coach, of course, Tom Izzo, about how he would evaluate the way that they are attacking that zone defense so far this year. I think we attacked it okay. We didn't turn it over much. I didn't think we attacked it to score like I'd like to and make them pay for if they want to press us. We're going to try to make them pay by attacking a little bit more so um, that's probably the next phase and part of it is as you know we don't get pressed a lot and number two we haven't had a lot of time to work on it so that's something that we're spending a little more time on to be a little more prepared and I think we'll be better and of course zone offense for Michigan State um, you know let's not lie we're we, we keep an eye on it especially after the way the last season ended against a Zone defense and a, a coach in Jim Be- Jim Beheim who has um, taken pride in a zone defense and taken pride in the fact that he took a less talented team and beat Michigan State with that zone. 
I again after that UCLA game, you know, I tweeted it looks like Michigan State is starting to work on has really worked on that zone offense ever since that game. And it became very obvious against Iowa, same thing, and I think a big part of it was putting Kenny Goins at the free throw line like you said. Exactly, and it's also they just have better personnel around them. All yeah. guys who can shoot the three, bust out a zone. And granted, like you said, it's not a Syracuse zone yet. Haven't faced a team like that. Cause that Syracuse zone is is something that's completely unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But to see this and to see the personnel they have, it's just a much better team to beat the zone with three point shooting all around. A four and Kenny Goins, who's a little bit of a better passer than you could say Jaron Jackson, who was at the four in that mm-hmm. position. And that just and obviously he didn't play too much against Syracuse, but that's just Another kind point, of yeah. better personnel there to see. I I think the way I've seen it this year is. Last year's team might have been more talented with guys like Miles Bridges and Jaron Jackson, who he's tearing up the league right now, by the way. But I still think, I mean, this this team looks smarter and more, just more experienced and more prepared for what opposing teams throw at them. I mean, this this team is just a standard, like, they, they move the ball so well because mm-hmm. they're so comfortable with each other. They have these three juniors that are amazing and have this amazing chemistry, and they're all talented in their own ways. They all know what role they need to play on the team. I mean, everything just flows so well throughout the whole entire team, which is a very large team, um, that it's just it's hard to stop them if they're all on their game. 28 assists on 31 made baskets against Iowa. Kenny Goins with his seven, obviously, <laughs> but... How about Cassius Winston going two for nine from the field uh, and realizing, hey, this isn't my night to score the ball. So he dished out 12 assists. You know, I mean, that's Michigan State just seems to have so many weapons. And that day it was for the bigs. It was for Nick Ward to go 10 for 10. It was for Kenny Goins to threaten a triple double. It was for even a guy like Xavier Tillman. Tillman had a really nice game as well. 14 points for him, five of six shooting. He hit all four of his free throws. That's a place that he struggled all year. Eight rebounds for him. So that was definitely a game for the bigs, and I think it was smart of Cassius Winston to realize, hey, I'm going to back off. I'm not going to force the issue a bit. He was struggling from the field. Throw the ball to some of my teammates. Mm-hmm. And it was it was this that back line of that zone was something was just weak about it. And guys like Nick Ward were able to find those holes. Mm-hmm. Avery Tillman as well. He had a couple plays where he backed down in the post. But a lot of the, the points they scored were just off running inside, finding holes, getting right underneath the basket, and laying it up from underneath. It was just finding the holes in the zone defense, and it worked for all of them. It seemed just just right. You know, they were they seemed to be firing on all cylinders and. Look, maybe Iowa just had an off day. Maybe they, you know, struggled from traveling, you know, to to East Lansing, and maybe it was the home crowd. I don't know, but watching that game and watching Michigan State just pound Iowa down low, just pound them. I mean, I think that was very promising, and goes to show you. I think that those two games gave you the taste of Big Ten play. I mean, yes, playing against Kansas and playing against Texas can give you all the experience you need and all the looks at good teams you need but you want to see that against big 10 teams the teams they're going to be competing for a conference title against and they went two for two and this is without you know one of their captains yeah absolutely two games it's just what else does this team have to offer with Matt McQuaid back on the court yeah I mean getting him back could even bump up their level of uh, uh, play as well but Again, you know, we talked about Aaron Henry getting 20 minutes in this Iowa game and playing well. Um, I, I think Aaron Henry's baseline dunk really started to that run for Michigan State there late in the first half, get the crowd behind him. I think McCaffrey called a timeout after that. And I, I think that Michigan State overall, coming out of that game, there's not much to, to hate on really. I mean, they had two turnovers in the first half. They ended up with eight, but that I think Tom Izzo said in his post game. You guys remember he said, "I think we had four turnovers before the Rat Pack came." Yes, in. Rat Pack. Yeah. I was trying to think of the term. So, so that's the that's the end of the bench for you, everybody. The Rat uh, Pack, quoted by Tom Izzo himself, the Rat Pack. Rat Pack. They apparently had four turnovers, and I kind of like it. There's probably not much of a better name that you're going to get if you double the turnover numbers by playing two minutes say, at the end of the game. Rat Pack is a really good nickname for committing four turnovers. You guys are committing four turnovers. I mean, I expect some signs in the Izone or something like that after <laughs> that. But uh, but Michigan State, again, I mean, just to close it out, 
dominating Iowa, especially inside. Only 3 of 12 from outside, so Michigan State not lighting it up from the three-point land exactly. But, I mean, what they did against UCLA's zone is shoot it from outside. And and those shots were just going in. Against Iowa's zone, I mean, there was, there was one point, that press defense, I mean, I thought, oh, man, Michigan State's really struggling with this. There was one possession where Cassius Winston, I swear, just split everybody. I mean, just split everybody. He's a fast player, but, I mean, he made them all look just, like, I mean, sloths out there. Just just split everybody. I mean, why pass it over the zone defense if you can just go right through him? Yeah, I mean, it seemed to work. I think it's just that he gets a plan in his head, like where he's just like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go make a bucket really quick. Like, let me just do this, yeah. And then he just goes. Rah, rah, rah. You guys just stay back on yeah. defense. I, <laughs> I, got I got this one, this one. <laughs> one on five. No, no biggie. But as far as Michigan State goes, those two games, I mean, I think it says a lot to battle back from a loss against Louisville, and again, as Amanda said, without their captain, without Matt McQuaid, and Matt McQuaid. We got an update today on him, except it really wasn't an update. We're really just not going to know until they <laughs> tip it off against Florida or maybe like an hour before when Tom Izzo goes on his pregame show. Um, but Matt McQuaid, Tom Izzo says, you know, just kind of, it's kind of a wait and see thing with him. Uh, McQuaid is at least practicing a little bit today. What does that mean for Saturday? No real clue yet. But uh, that's encouraging that he's at least running, and it's it's not bad. That will help us a lot, believe it or not. So, again, wait and see with Matt McQuaid. Uh, I think Michigan State's just a flat-out much better team, especially on the defensive end with a Matt McQuaid. So um, I think they aren't going to hold him out forever, but also they're not going to risk it because he's a guy that he's going to be crucial if this team wants to make a Big Ten run and a March run. So... Let's get into our loaded Twitter questions of the day. I mean, wow. Thank you, everybody, for tweeting in your questions at hashtag ImpactIzzone. Some of them come together, so we'll try to relate them together and get it going as fast as we can here. We begin with the wonderful Matthew Burr. At Coach Matty Burr, yes, he is an IM coach. We we have had questions from him in the past, always looking to stir something up on the podcast. And this one's going to start out with a doozy. And and we'll go quick on this. I mean, just give me just give me your five, maybe a sentence of reasoning. How would you power rank the five freshmen? I mean, I guess we're going to start with uh, Julian. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Throwing it out there, power ranking the five freshmen, you know, one through five. I have Henry as one just because we've seen the most out of him, mm-hmm. and I do think he has the the body to play right now, and he's played well as far as his perimeter defense too. Then my second is Bingham Jr. This is, these next guys will be off of potential pretty much, and I think Bingham Jr. has the potential to be a really, really great player. Mm-hmm. We'd love to see more of him. Then Gabe Brown as my next guy. I think this is a guy who, if he's, if he's put in the game, gets some more time. He can be a lethal three-point shooter, and I think that's a big piece for this Michigan State offense. And then Lawyer at the the fourth spot here. I like Lawyer. I think he's a really good player. I think in a couple years or so, he gets the right development. He can be a solid floor general for this Spartan team. And then ending it off with Kithier, I think Kithier's a solid player as well. Don't know if he's ever going to see the you know a whole lot of minutes, but I do think he's a guy with a lot of skill, can finish around the rim. Amanda Stern. Um, I'd probably have to go with Henry first as well, just because we've seen him. We've seen, you know, we've gotten a really good taste of what uh, he can do. And then I'm going to go Gabe Brown next, just because, and then Bingham, just because uh, every time I see Bingham play, the ball just falls out of his hand. And I just, I can't, I get way too nervous when I see him play. (laughs) And I just feel like Gabe Brown is more bodily ready, I guess, if that makes any sense. And then I'll have to do lawyer just because with his minutes that he has gotten, he has shown a lot of potential. He just does need some time. Um, And then Kithier, very athletic, as we've been told, but we just haven't seen anything yet. So I'm going to go with Henry first of of all. Um, I think he also, from what we've seen, yes, but also for what he can provide to this team, kind of as that spark plug. I actually asked him about it at practice today about – do you kind of see yourself as that energy guy that, that hey, come follow me. I'm going to light up the crowd a little bit. We saw that, again, with that baseline dunk 
in the first half, Michigan State kind of got on a run after that. He's an energy guy. I mean, he can really fire up the crowd, and I think Spartan fans know that Aaron Henry is that kind of guy. He's electric. Uh, next, I'm going to go with Foster Lawyer, actually. I think the Foster Lawyer has done a little bit better than I expected to. Uh, and, and that even goes with the fact that Matt McQuaid is really backing up at point guard right now while he's healthy. Um, but now that McQuaid has not been playing, Foster Lawyer's been thrown into a few more minutes as well. And uh, he's impressed me a little bit with his ability to just kind of create something out of nothing. Um, he's still got a long way to go. Then I'll go with Bingham. Um, the thing is, I just don't think Bingham is doing exactly what he's meant to do right now. Um, how about this stat line? I believe, last I checked, he is 4 for 8 from 3 and 0 for 4 from 2 this year. Yeah, not what you uh, not what picture you expect for him. <laughs> from the tallest guy on the team. He's hit threes, and that looks nice and all, but you have got to do something down low. And well, that just goes with strength. It does, and he does, doesn't have it right now. And these teams that you play against, like Green Bay, Oakland, those kind of teams over Christmas break, it's then or it's never because you're getting into Big Ten play with the big dogs. So Marcus Bingham, I think he's got to get a little bit more down low uh, if he wants to move up. Gabe Brown, um, I'm not going to lie. I thought he was going to be the guy going into this season ahead of Henry. And he just doesn't seem to have the the acumen to do much more than shooting from outside so far. And then Kithier last. I mean, we all put Kithier last, but that's not a knock against him. It's just, I mean, this is a talented freshman class. And then Thomas Kithier, um, just, just, he's gotten in and done some good things. But uh, not exactly lighting the world on fire. He just, that's not his role on this team. It's more so to come in in garbage time and, you know, show us what we got and, the Rat Pack. He's the Rat Pack. The Coming with the Rat Pack. <laughs> Thomas Kithier, Rat Pack. All right. Keeping it with the freshman, uh, Foster Lawyer. With his struggles at point guard, which I just kind of uh, dis whatever the word Words. is. What, whatever the <laughs> word is, I just kind of dispelled. Uh, and Arns and Henry's solid play. Do you think Izzo experiments with bringing Matt McQuaid off the bench as the backup point guard, especially if easing back from injury? I mean, this talking about Matt McQuaid coming off the bench – I don't know if there's much to that. I think that they've waited long enough with him anyways that he's going to be ready to go. Tom Izzo said in that quote that he practiced a bit today, he's running around a bit. Um, I still think he's got to be the starter on this team. I don't really see him coming off the bench. I mean, and, and you brought in Foster Lawyer, you got to trust him. You got to trust him as your backup. Yeah, I can't see him not starting just because I know how much Tom Izzo loves him and his defensive skills and the energy he brings to the court. And you need that energy at the beginning of a game right mm-hmm. away. Like you, He'll do better starting in the game instead of off the bench. Yeah, I agree as well. I think he's got he's to be a guy who starts. I think Arns would be an interesting person to slot in at that piece if you're really going to think about it because I just think he brings some more three-point shooting, although Matt McQuaid has struggled this season. He still is a threat, though, and you take him and put him on the bench and maybe even start Henry, that just leaves Winston and Langford as your lone really sharp shooter, the guys who are huge threats to shoot the three. And that can lead to some struggles, particularly when you're working with a Nick Ward who's just a back-to-the-basket kind of guy. You can focus in on the shooters a lot more. And, or, excuse me, focus on him a lot more, leave the shooters for shots. And I think Matt McQuaid's a guy who has to start. He brings a different kind of offense. And also his work on the defensive end is just key to this Michigan State team. I think so. And, and yes, they're doing a nice job with Arns in there, but um, still just Matt McQuaid's just kind of got a better ceiling. Let me get actually to one of the Facebook questions that was just brought up on Facebook Live is Matt McQuaid uh, has been replaced by Kyle Arns in the starting lineup. Eric Chamberlain, friend of the show, longtime listener, asks about the ceiling for Kyle Arns and saying that, hey, we've seen him come out, and I think Kyle Arns has surprised a lot of fans. I personally will say I I saw this coming from Kyle Arns. I don't I don't I'm not gonna say like he was a world beater by any stretch of the imagination, but he's a much better player than I think people realize. He just had some dumb luck on injuries, quite honestly. So what is Kyle Arnes' ceiling? I mean, I think being kind of one of those Matt McQuaid kind of guys, um, Kyle Arnes can also hit some knockdown threes and, and play solid defense. He's tougher, I think, and, and more built than Matt McQuaid, just not as experienced, really. But I, I think they compare pretty, pretty closely, actually. 
I do as well. I think Arns is a little bit of uh, a lesser in terms of ball handling, mm-hmm. but in terms of shooting the the triple, I mean, getting, getting to the basket, Arns has done that a couple times off some nice backdoor cuts. I see him as kind of where he's at right now, that 5.8, six, six or seven points a game, giving you a couple threes, some good defense on the other end. This that type of role player guy. Well, and he just wants to do whatever he can do for the team. That's just the type of player he is. Yep. Whatever coach needs from him, whatever his teammates need from him, that's what he's going to do. And that's a great person to have, especially with McQuaid off the floor. Moving on to Big T724. That's Trevor, and I forgot how to pronounce his last name, but we had some journalism classes together last year and uh, actually worked on a project on East Lansing High School basketball with Trevor Ooh, back in take a uh, shot at it. back in 417. Tazadlowski, that's what it is. Oh. It's it's Tazadlowski. Yep. Trevor Tazadlowski asks two questions. Uh first off, Kenny Goins. One of the many Kenny Goins questions. Um I'm going to try to morph them together because uh Zach's Wysicki wanted to know has Kenny Goins developed into a legitimate player teams will have to game plan for. Trevor asks, can Kenny Goins be counted on as a reliable secondary scoring option? So, can Kenny Goins be a reliable scoring option, and do teams have to develop a plan for him? I'm going to start with you, Julian. All right, starting with me, as far as being a reliable secondary scoring option, I still think it's a little bit early to say that. Mm -hmm. I think Kenny Goins has really only shown the offensive repertoire repertoire he has the skill set he has (laughs) really in two games and those have just been his highest scoring output games other than that he he's struggled sometimes from the field especially Mm -hmm. on the offensive end so I don't know if he's ready to be a reliable secondary scoring option yet I do think he is a guy who if the defense has to key in on Nick Ward or even the shooters from outside he can hit a mid-range jump shot here and there as far as teams game planning for him I think you need to see more from him yet, mm-hmm. uh, more from him down the line. I think for now, teams, you game plan enough for Nick Ward, Cassius Winston, and Josh Langford, and the game plan for, Ken- for Kenny Goins is if Kenny Goins beats us, Kenny Goins beats us. Well, because he's so, it's unexpected. Every time he does yeah. this big thing, it's just like, you hear about Kenny Goins? Who? Kenny Goins, But yeah, I think that's, yeah. the, that's the question, though, is should we be expecting this now, or is this just kind of flash-in-the-pan stuff? I think, I think it's too early to tell. He's had these two huge high-scoring games, Kansas and Iowa now, that he's, you know, really made his, like, a name for himself, I guess, and this team this year. And, and maybe the two best teams that they've played, by the way. Isn't, yep. that, isn't that strange? But yeah. I think one place, to I guess, to maybe game plan for is on the defensive boards. I yeah. think he's a guy who has crashed the glass, oh, yes. as yeah. particularly way oh, more yeah. than Nick Ward. And I definitely think that's a guy who defensively, when you're rebounding on the glass, that's one you have to make sure you put a body on. You think Ward needs to game plan how to get some of those rebounds back from Kenny? Because I feel like Nick's kind of upset. Like, well, even Tillman. This... Tillman yeah. and Goins are beating him. Yeah, Nick, absolutely. It's not even close. That's the thing. No. I mean, Kenny Goins is going out putting up 17 <laughs> rebound games. He's, he's Yeah, he's got double-digit rebounds right now. He's averaging double-digit rebounds. It's crazy. But... And he's always been a good, hard rebounder, but there's something extra this year that's that's gotten into him. Is he a legitimate player the teams have to game plan for? I, I think the rebounding is a good point, but as a scoring option, I just don't think so. I think he's a piece of this offense, and I think his experience and his, his mindset is, I know this offense, and I know the what defenses throw at me it, it, where I need to go with the ball. And I think that that's what he brings. I don't think that there's something you can game plan with that other than trying to, again, throw his own defense at them, throw this at them, you know, and, and try to confuse Michigan State into turning the ball over, which we've seen them have problems with before. Do they have to game plan for him as a secondary scoring option? I just don't think so. Um, he's still, I mean, he's still under 30%, I think, from three this year, so he's not exactly lighting it up from outside, but... Um, but he's he's going to outwork you. That's what you have to uh, count on. Is he's going to just flat out outwork you? And and what he, you know, he he is a talented kid. I mean, he was gonna he he said today at practice he's got he had offers from every Mac school. He was between Michigan State walk on and a scholarship at Central Michigan, and it was a tough decision for him. Uh, so this this is a player that's it's it's not like he's your normal walk on. You know, he's not Connor George. Uh, he, he's a guy that came in, and I wasn't surprised when he got a scholarship after a year. So, But Kenny Goins, 
hot topic. I understand. Oh, boy. This one. (laughs) There's kind of a big recruiting decision coming up, and Trevor would like to know, does Vernon Carey commit to Michigan State? Vernon Carey, top two player in the upcoming 2019 class. Phenomenal player, highly rated for many years. We've seen stuff about Vernon Carey to Michigan State for a while. Out of Fort Lauderdale, listed at 6'10", 275. I mean, that's Zion Williamson size right there. 10 pounds lighter. Michigan State, Duke, North Carolina. Those are his top three. He's announcing at noon on Thursday where he's going. Does Vernon Carey go to Michigan State, Amanda? No, he goes to Duke. Why do you say that? They all go to Duke. They all go to Duke. (laughs) See, that's the thing. And that's the thing the Spartan fans are are so worried about, and that's why we're being asked. I'm sorry, I just don't follow recruiting as much right now as I probably could um, to know exactly. When Duke is in there, it's always always a bother. You know, it's always, you know, and Spartan fans know that. It's not like Michigan State has lost out to Duke, like, on – 50 players and they've never won. Everybody still is is upset about Jabari Parker, Jaleel Okafer, Tyus Jones. Outside of them, not really a bunch of battles, right? I mean, and I don't really remember last time Michigan State and North Carolina duked it out. Ha-ha. <laughs> okay, duked oh. it out. Um, I made that joke at practice <laughs> today and it just fell flat, so I oh. wanted to try it again. Um, Michigan State, Duke, North Carolina. It's just... I don't know. I think it's tough. But if you're in that kid's situation, it's tough not to play for Coach K, right? That's really difficult. Guy, <laughs> how I mean, do, how guy, do you turn down one of the best coaches of all time? You your don't. Skill you, set? don't. <laughs> you don't. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's tough to turn down. At a place like that where you know you have a brotherhood of guys mm-hmm. who are in the NBA, most of the guys go on to the league with Coach K, coaches guys who play in the league. He's coached for Team USA. It's a guy who's been around. Probably one of the best coaches, if not the best coach in college basketball. I think he might be the best coach in college basketball history. I, I, I definitely agree I, with I, you. I, I, He's up there. It like <laughs> so it, like it's, you, it's hard. It's hard to predict. Yeah. And I think I mean there is something to say that Michigan State has made it this far in their recruiting. There is something to say about that. But I think you know a guy from Fort Lauderdale as well. Fort Lauderdale as well. You think he want to come to Michigan? <laughs> That's a good point. I I still think that. Michigan State, I think I've had this weird, I don't know if it's a comfort, but I've had this weird feeling like with Vernon Carey that's been different because there's been a lot of stories about him trusting Tom Izzo and and this is a place that he could see himself and his visits, uh, people making a lot of, hey, his last official visit was to Michigan State. But I also saw that with Jabari Parker. Jabari Parker and Tom Izzo were best buds ever since the kid was in eighth grade. And I remember watching it. He pulls that. Blue, blue, blue devil's hat <laughs> out of that bag and puts it on his head. And yeah, I'm, I don't think it's a shock if he goes to Duke, but um, don't, don't think it's over. Don't think it's over. I mean, we're hours away from it, but <laughs> that, uh, that Vernon Carey commitment is big. But again, we've talked about it a little bit. There's a lot of other good recruits out there that Michigan State is in the running for some five star guys. Um, Vernon Carey, one of those, and he commits Thursday at noon at his high school, of course. Follow us on Twitter for uh, the latest news on that. Thank you, Trevor, for your questions. Kyle Turk has a couple questions, and and this kind of goes along the McQuaid lines, too. Once McQuaid comes back, do the minutes for Kyle Arns and Gabe Brown, Aaron Henry, kind of those guys that have filled in for him, do those minutes change? Do the minutes for Matt McQuaid change because of the way that those guys have played? What do you guys think? I I think they change slightly. I think you look at Aaron Henry's playing about uh, 15 minutes a game right now that may dip slightly to maybe the 13-12 range just because Matt McQuaid is going to have to be a backup ball handler, and I think that's kind of where most of his minutes will end up going is him playing that backup point guard role, and Aaron Henry will slide in after that. I think Arns will probably take potentially maybe even the largest hit to his minutes because I just think Aaron Henry slots in better as a defensive player. It'll be interesting to see what Izzo does with those lineups, whether he chooses to go with a Henry who's 
a little bit better defender, especially on the perimeter, or goes with Arns for more shooting. Who do you think plays more, Kyle Arns or Aaron Henry? Very tough. I'm gonna go. I think I'm gonna go with Henry. I think. Wow. I think just. I think Izzo has more confidence in Aaron Henry, and I think mm. he's he's shown it a little bit as far as defending. His defense has been key, and then putting the ball on the deck. I think that's a different layer mm-hmm. to this Michigan State team than the three point shooting is having a guy who's more of a slasher, and I think that's yeah. where Aaron Henry slots in. I'm actually gonna disagree. I think it's Kyle Arns, and I think it's actually the same reasoning you used for Aaron Henry. I think he's trusted Kyle Arns and for more time. Uh, just that experience level, you know, and, and it's it's tough. I mean, this is okay. This is for the seventh man on the team, you know, mm-hmm. and okay, the difference between seventh and eighth man. I mean, Aaron Henry still will be a part of the rotation and be a crucial part. I think he takes the biggest hit to his minutes. Uh, if if we're putting them up against each other, I think Kyle Arns ends up being more of the the guy that sticks with that role because I think he's shown the most in this absence. Matt McQuaid, I think, will start out not playing as many minutes per game and his minutes a game kind of will dip as they ease him back. But he still was at the point of his injury. He was leading the team in minutes. And I, I think he's still going to be a top two, top three guy in minutes per game uh, when all is said and done. Yeah. I, I'm going to have to agree with Ryan as well. Just with like, I think McQuaid will, yeah, he'll still be the guy with, you know, the most minutes on the team, I believe. And when it comes to Aaron Henry and Kyle Arns, it's it's not the fact that, like, I don't know if their minutes will, like, change completely, but I think it's the fact that now Izzo knows what they can do. And in those moments, in those key moments during key games and certain, you know, foul trouble things, that he'll know who to go to, and that'll be when their minutes change in those moments. Maybe not consistently and steadily, like, over the games, but in certain moments – um, we'll see who Tom goes to, and it'll be a, a Kyle Ahrens or it'll be an Aaron Henry. Another big guy who is his minutes kind of up in up in the air right now. Marcus Bingham. Does Marcus Bingham need to play more? Kyle Turk asks. In these next couple of games, yes. Well, yes, exactly. I mean, it's just kind of what I was saying earlier. You play against Oakland. You play against Green Bay. Those are the teams where it's hey Matt or excuse me Marcus Bingham. Go out there. I mean, see see what you can do, especially in that second half where they're sure to have you know twenty thirty point leads, barring something crazy. Um, it's then it's do or die time. It's then or never for him because you're not going to throw him to the wolves in a in a crucial situation against Wisconsin, or they have two games against Ohio State, or you know, God forbid, he's put in a situation against Michigan late in the season. Michigan is a top five team right now, so. Yeah, I mean, he has to play during the stretch or else he's just not going to, right? I agree. I think he he has to play. And in order for him to get better, he has to play more. And I think right now we talked about kind of power ranking the freshman. And I think sort of that 0 for 2 from or 0 for 4 from the two, mid-range area has kind of been due because he hasn't been put in those positions. I see him a lot when he gets in the game and he has to just kind of roam the perimeter and he ends up taking the three-point shots he has to take. Yeah. So I think him playing some more minutes, kind of seeing more of what he can do, will kind of help figure out where he slots into this offense. And I just think he's a super talented player that adds another layer as a stretch, as more of a stretch forward than a Kenny Goins to this Michigan State team. Rolling on, again back to uh, Vernon Carey. Should Vernon Carey commit to Michigan State? Is MSU a top five team in the preseason next year? Sorry, Kyle, or is this season not impressing you enough? <laughs> but <laughs> but on. is this team a top five preseason team next year with a Vernon Carey commit? All right, come up with your answer, and I want us to answer it with one word on three. You guys all got your answer? Like a yes or a no? Like a yes or oh, no. Okay. It's a yes or no. Yes or no question. Do you have yours, Amanda? Yeah, I do. Do you have yours, Julian? Uh, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're going to go with it. One, two, three. Yes. yes. No. Oh. <laughs> well, we have yeah, uh, another dissenting opinion there. <laughs> to me, I think this year it's going to be great to see them do this with the juniors, but they're returning just about everybody next year. Maybe if Langford just starts to light it up, he goes. Ward, you never really know after what happened last season. I still think with Cassius Winston there, I think we've seen what we've seen with Aaron Henry. A guy like Kyle Arns will be back. Xavier Tillman. Tillman will improve more. Then you throw in 
the couple of recruits they have next year, Malik Hall and a guy who hasn't signed yet, Rocket Watts, but has shown uh, in in some news that he will still stay with Michigan State. Add in Vernon Carey, I think that team would be loaded and continue the run of even years where Michigan State has a serious national title threat. Going all the way back, 2012, Michigan State number one seed in the tournament. 2014, that team I thought was the best team in the country with Adrian Payne and Keith Appling. 2016, team with Denzel Valentine and everyone who lost to Middle Tennessee. And then 2018, they had a great shot last year and just a lot of things went wrong in the Syracuse game. Continuing that run of even years where I, I feel like the odd year is kind of the, hey, this let's see what this team can do, a classic Izzo team. 2020 is, is more of one of those teams that I think can really break through at the national stage. I'm interested to hear why not top five for Julian. And I can see top five. My issue is that I just I don't know where the te- where Winston and Langford all improve after the next season. I think I don't know exactly where the ceiling is for them. I just feel like Langford has shown at points that he can be a dominant scorer and he can score the basketball twenty nine against Texas. But then after that, he's been trailing. It's been fourteen points, but it's been four of 12 or four of 13 from the mm-hmm. field. And it's it's just interesting to see where they slot in and where they can continue to grow and then to see where Carey goes. I, I do think Carey is a fantastic player, obviously, but it's interesting to see, is he the man, the man? Duke is recruiting him, but they also have a whole lot of other guys who can also play as well and to see where they slot in. I mean, there's been guys who Duke has recruited. You look at Marcus Bolden, who was a top recruit as well, and now he's still playing at Duke. He was supposed to go on and so it's just going to be interesting to see where they grow and I don't know necessarily besides Carey if the team has other NBA level talented players to play Amanda you uh agreed with me mm-hmm. I mean I, any any extra to the fact that I mean I just think that this year's team I mean yeah they would lose McQuaid and they would lose Goins two players who have done a nice job but Seems like most of the big time players from Michigan State can come back and you can just fit those pieces kind of in there. Yeah, I think it's just two players. It's two. And and they've got three juniors. They've got, you know, Xavier Tillman and Aaron Henry, all these people that we're already talking about that, oh my gosh, I'm excited to see where they're going. Like I've already seen this and this and this. Like I think with Izzo's coaching style, they are going to improve for sure. Um to make them that good of a team and then carrying or, you know, bringing on new recruits that are going to be really good as well. And just that type of team, the chemistry always is really like good. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, you just can't go wrong with what they have right now and who they keep for next year. Only thing with the chemistry would be if Vernon Carey comes in 6'10 center and Nick Ward decides to stay, how do you split up that center position? And then you try to get Xavier Tillman in the game. And then, uh, I mean, you could, you could run into problems there. Right, but I, I just think yeah. talent-wise, it would be a top five talented team, in my opinion. But he's going to do. I, I can so. see that. The, the, yeah, the but thing he's would be. Going to do. Yeah, the thing would be where so you I don't slot know why him we're in. Talking about this. Yeah, that's true. It would be where you slot him in because I think that ends mm-hmm. up being kind of what Izzo had a couple years, or I guess now a year ago, yeah. with Jaron Jackson Jr. Jaron Jackson Jr. in the way basketball is rolling, could have played at the five spot, mm-hmm. and I think that is something that you have Jaron Jackson Jr. at the five, Bridges at the four. That could have been your national championship team. That's a dominant team, especially the way Jaron Jackson has been playing in the NBA. And so an issue if Nick Ward does stay, Izzo has put a lot of faith and a lot of stock into Nick Ward. Does he lean more on Nick Ward, who I think has potentially hit hit maybe his ceiling already, mm-hmm. or a Vernon Carey who has a ton of potential? It'll be interesting to watch. And maybe this just doesn't become a thing, but I still think... Even without Vernon Carey, they've got a shot at those other five stars. I still think they've got a good shot at being that top five level team next year. I can see it. Just a lot of questions where the pieces fit in. Absolutely. We'll know a lot more after that, and we'll get into that in next week's episode. Finally, Kyle Turk wants to know, what's Ryan's favorite show memory? We'll save that for next week. Aww. Oh, wow. Left him hanging. I know. Left him hanging. I was actually really excited. I saw that on there, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I wonder. It's probably nope. when he got Julian and I on the show. That's probably what his favorite memory was. <laughs> I don't even have to do the show next week. You already know <laughs> what it is. God. Spoiler alert. Dang it. <laughs> Zach Swice at Zach Swice. Uh, Zachary Swicey, 
wants to know. We already asked. And excuse me, we already answered. Has Kenny Goins developed into a legitimate player that teams have to game plan for? Two other questions from Zach Swice. We'll keep it quick and then get on to our predictions for Florida and get you out of here. What roles do Aaron Henry, Gabe Brown, Marcus Bingham have on an Izzo coach team in 2018? Now, I'm kind of curious why the year comes in there. Maybe it's just to keep us like in the here and now because we talk a lot about potential with these freshmen, right? I mean, we all see bits of that potential in, in the limited minutes that they play. I think we can agree on that, right? I mean, these are guys that is recruited. They're all four-star guys. They're all guys that will have roles, especially later on. But in the here and now, Zach wants to know what roles do Aaron Henry, Gabe Brown, Marcus Bingham have on an Izzo coach team now? I think you look at Aaron Henry, I think he's uh, a slash and D guy. I think he's the guy who comes in, plays good energy, gets to the basket, forces some plays for Michigan State when they're without some of the, the better offensive players on the floor and then plays great defense on the other end. You look at uh, Gabe Brown, I think where he slots in is more of a 3 and D. Potentially, haven't seen him too much on the defensive end, but definitely the three-pointer is where he's going to excel at and be kind of where he sits. And then Bingham, Bingham's the most interesting guy for me because on an Izzo coach team, it's tough to see where Marcus Bingham slots in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I, the thing that it has interested me throughout this season is that guys like Xavier Tillman and Kenny Goins, although he has struggled shooting it, have all kind of come on with supposedly better jump shots. And there has not been the opportunity for them to show that. And I don't know how much is them just not putting themselves in that position or Izzo coaching them just to not take those Hmm. shots yet. And that's where I kind of have a question about where Bingham goes. If Izzo is ready to kind of have more of a stretch four or even position him at the five depending on how strong he gets. And if he's ready to kind of play a more three-point shooting team with guys who can shoot more than a post-up, back-to-the-basket, Nick Ward-type player. I don't have much to add to that. I, I think yeah. as far as the roles go, I mean, it's just I, I don't see them breaking out too much of their role that they're in right now. Maybe an Aaron Henry. I, I don't see Gabe Brown taking away minutes from a Kyle Arns or or even Henry. Mm-hmm. And, and then same with Bingham. Yeah. I mean, talking to Aaron Henry after the Iowa game, he said, coach tells me to go in there and play good defense. And that's what I do. So exactly what Julian said, he's a good defender. And I think that's his role. Same thing with Brown and Bingham. I agree with Julian completely. You just don't know with Bingham and Brown. Yeah, we're seeing his offensive play a little bit. But other than that, we Michigan State already has our starters. So, And, and of course, we don't know about these off-the-wall injuries that could happen. I mean, of course, you know, you never wish that on anybody, but I'm just saying, you know, that's a possibility. If a Kyle Arns goes down for an extended period of time, or if even one of the starting five, you know, Matt McQuaid, this is a ding-up, but he's going to be back. We know this, right? If one of those guys, God forbid, has an extended injury, one of those guys might get thrown into a much bigger role. But outside of that, I just don't see much changing. What do you take from the Iowa tape? How much do you take from the Iowa tape? And Zach Swysicki says that's a team that didn't execute defensively and was even worse on offense. Yes, I definitely think that when the Iowa coach talked right after the game, he's, you know, a bunch of people asked him, like, you know, what does this say about you guys? And is this just a bad night for you guys? Blah, blah, blah. But you just can't neglect the fact that Michigan State did well, too. It wasn't that they were just doing poorly and the shooting percentages were bad or anything like that. And they were like lucked out that I was doing terribly. It was that Michigan State was executing where they needed to be. And it just made Iowa look even worse. Um so I think you can take a lot because it is it's a Big 10 game. It's mm-hmm. a conference game and you're it's it's one of the first ones. You can take a lot from it because that's that's real competition. I think looking at the tape, you don't take as much away from what Iowa is. Yeah. Cuz Iowa is a much better team than the way they played and I think part of it is due to tired legs as coach Fran McCaffrey said after the game. I mean, they came off a grueling game against Wisconsin, a grueling half-court affair with Wisconsin where they had to play a really good Wisconsin team as well. And I think just on that end, looking at where Iowa's going to be, this isn't the team they are. I think they play much better, especially when they play again in Iowa, in Iowa City, I believe, yeah, Iowa City, mm-hmm. for that other game. But what you do take away 
for Michigan State is the turnover battle. I think that's something where although the defense did have its issues for Iowa, it was a lot more of the guys who you want to take care of the ball took care of the basketball, particularly Cassius Winston. That's something that's a big thing for him and being the focal point of this offense, the floor general, he has to take care of the basketball, and he did. And it's to me, I've in these last two games, he's just been a lot more cerebral. It's sort of working off the pick and roll, finding the seams, and that's been the key for him. I'm actually going to disagree a little bit with his question. I think you have to give a lot more credit to Michigan State. I think Iowa was not awful on offense. I think a lot of it came from Michigan State just being better on defense. Uh, and and yes, I mean, they didn't execute defensively, but that was because they were already backs against the wall. That's why they went with a press. That's why they went with a zone. Because they were trying to throw Michigan State off its game, but Michigan State just executed, just out-executed them. And I think you can take a lot from it. And what you can take, too, is Michigan State showed again that they can win a basketball game in many different ways. This was a game for the bigs, like we said. Josh Lankford, I think, 5 of 13. Cassius Winston, 2 for 9. Those guys said, hey, I, I'm, I'm not having a good day. Let's give it to the bigs, you know. And, and again, I mean, we've seen Michigan State's best performances come when they lock down on defense. And, yes, you can say Iowa struggled on offense and missed some shots, but, I mean, Jordan Bohannon was forced to take 30-footers because they had nothing else going. Luca Garza had nothing going down low. So, and, and I think that's because Michigan State, once again, played well when it realized that defense is how you win games, especially with Tom Izzo. And the defense for Michigan State has been, I think, much better than we thought it would be. I think the offense, too, has been more consistent than we thought it would be. I think I think the offense it's it's just there, you know. They're going to go out, they're going to score points. They are leading the Big 10 in scoring right now. And um you can say yeah, that's because they racked it up against Florida Gulf Coast and Tennessee Tech, but they're even going up with 90 against Iowa. So um give more give more credit to Michigan State, I think, uh than than just saying ah, Iowa played bad because that's that's a lot due to the Spartans. Let's move on. Wow. That was a lot of Twitter questions. Yep. Thank you, everybody, though, Thank for you. sending in those Twitter questions. Maddie Burr, Trevor Tuzlowski, Kyle Turk, Zach Swysicki, and the follow-up question from Eric Chamberlain. The prediction standings as we go into previewing Florida, the road trip for Michigan State again, third road trip in the last four. Amanda has tied it with me. Hmm. And Julian hasn't hasn't won a closest margin in a little while. It's been a minute, but and I believe that one was a tie actually. But I, I I gotta I gotta pull ahead before I leave here. So Michigan State, Iowa, or excuse me, we're done with Iowa. Michigan State, Florida. This one is one where Florida uh, is is not exactly the program that they once were about ten years ago with Billy Donovan. Kind of struggling for that, you know, next level. What do you guys see as far as the things that Florida does that makes them so good? Or or so maybe not so good. I think the the, the issue is Florida is that they're not the greatest offensive team. Only 71 points a game for Florida. Just shooting 40, 45% from the field as a team. That's kind of where they struggle is the offensive end of the basketball you look at the players they have, only one player averaging double digits, and that's Kevon Allen, who's a fantastic player in his own right, but only 10 points a game on this season. And that's kind of the issue they have. If they can do a solid job of uh, slowing a team down as far as their defense, they're holding opponents to just 61 points a game, but the issue is going to come if they can score on the offensive end of the basketball. And against a Michigan State team that can score, it's going to be a tough one for the Gators. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with their offense and what Julian said about it. It's just... If you can't score against this, what seems to be Michigan State great defense, it's just not going to end well. They don't have you know your top four scores or anything, and like he said, there's only one person scoring, averaging ten you know points per game, and that's just not going to cut it for a Michigan State defense and a Michigan State's offense. They're just going to be outscored. Michigan State. I think we'll be in a dogfight for this one. I think Tom Izzo agrees with it. And watching Florida go up against West Virginia, uh, a decent Big 12 team, 
it was a slugfest there, and I think that's what Tom Izzo knows that Michigan State is in for. You know, I watched them last night. They've got some great shooters that aren't always shooting well, and uh, yet they're we watch film from last year and that, and they've got a lot of guys who can put the ball in the hoop, and uh, a couple of them aren't shooting it as well as they've shot it before, so that's always scary. They do have some size inside. They're a tough rebounding team. They're a physical team. They play good defense, and they play a couple of junk defenses. And uh, so we're going to have to make sure we're prepared for all those. So he says there are some shooters that just aren't really shooting at the level that they could. They got a little bit of size. I I think it's a slugfest, guys, but I think Michigan State still wins this one lower scoring, kind of like I said with that Rutgers game, although I think they scored better than I thought they would. 69-60, to Michigan State. That's my pick. Mm. Uh, that's That's my one. To go out on top and pass Amanda once again. I'm going to have to give my winning prediction. Um, 80-68 Michigan State wins. I mean, from what I've already seen, from we've already seen from this Michigan State offense is they're going to score, and they're going to score a lot. So that's why I picked that. And then last but not least, I'm a passenger (laughs) kind of in this game right now. Uh, I have Michigan State winning. It's 75 to 60, I think this will be a far and away win for Michigan State. I do think 75 is the number, though, to hit, just because I do think this Gator defense is solid. They forced against West Virginia into 21 turnovers and then scored 22 points off of those turnovers. They play great defense. The issue is going to be on the offensive side of the ball, and they only end up putting 60 in a loss to Michigan State. I had 60 as well. How about that? Hmm. Look at that. Amanda, you're going down. I don't know. I'm actually pretty confident. Can we talk about one thing, though? Yeah. I yes. do want to point this out. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to go back here in the outlines, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I had the Michigan State score correct for the last game. For the last uh, game? Or the, uh, or the Rutgers game. Rutgers game. Yeah, Rutgers. Rutgers, you had 78-62. You had Michigan State score correct. Yeah, I just wanted to give myself some credit since I'm in last. So. You still weren't you still weren't the closest to that's the scoring margin though. Ryan, that's, that's not, not what matters. matters. That's you had not the total. What okay, whatever. There we go. Michigan whatever. State total. I predicted that the profit is still alive. <laughs> oh my gosh. What are we gonna do with you? I don't know. Guys, it's my second to last episode. We oh, got one more. Gosh. One more. Yeah, think about your favorite your favorite time or your favorite memory for next week. There's a lot to choose from. Yeah. There's a lot to choose from. Uh, you guys have some stiff competition because I've had some great co-hosts on this show. But I'm very proud of you guys and happy to see what you guys do with it afterward. But those sentimental moments are for next week. We'll bring the tissues. We'll bring the tissues. There's a couple, There's a box right oh, here in, uh, in, I can't in, cry. in, in Studio H. Oh, We're not going live. We can't go live. We can't, oh, we, we got to go live. We can't go live. Dude, go I almost live. cried watching Frozen today. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I literally can't now. Uh, first time for everything. Oh my goodness. Well, that's it. That's it for episode seven of the Impact Zone podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Ryan Cole. That's Julian Mitchell. That's Amanda Poole. And yes, it is December, so I'll allow you to say it, and we'll keep it in the podcast here, say- Amanda. Happy holidays. No, ready? <laughs> One, two, three. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Huge game for both teams, but especially Michigan State.